Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's time for your Midweek Bible Study 2024 edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It is great to be with you once again after the holiday break. Thanks for coming back to join us. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm really excited to share with you. We're beginning a new study today, and it's in a book of Hebrews. Over the next 18 weeks, we're going to discover many amazing, insightful, and challenging thoughts and situations that are really applicable for us today. In a nutshell, the primary message of this book is that Jesus is superior to angels, superior to the ancient Jewish leaders, and superior to the Jewish priests. Now, the main themes of the book we're going to talk about include the superiority of Christ, the high priest, sacrifice, promise, maturity, faith, and endurance. Now, with all that in mind, let's begin with Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to do the entire chapter, verses 1 to 14, where we'll talk about Jesus Christ is God's Son, and Christ is greater than the angels. But as always, before we get any further, let's have a word of prayer. Almighty and most merciful Heavenly Father, it is great to be back studying your word together as a family of God. Thank you for all that have come to join us today. Lord, we bless you. We want to sit at your feet and learn today. So teach us from this amazing book of Hebrews. And we're just so excited that we can learn from you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. All right, turn in your Bible or Bible apps to Hebrews chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3 right off the bat and talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is God's Son. Here we go, verses 1, 2, and 3. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son he created the universe. The Son radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. All right, let's look at verse 1. Once again, it says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Let's look at that. Here's the question. How did God speak to the people during Old Testament times? God used prophets to reveal his message to the people. The original Jewish readers of the book would have remembered that God had spoken many times and in many ways to their ancestors during Old Testament times. God has spoken to Isaiah in visions, Isaiah chapter 6, to Jacob in the dream, Genesis 28, and to Abraham and Moses personally, Genesis 18 and Exodus 31. God had taught Jeremiah through object lessons, Jeremiah 13, and taught the people through the prophet Hosea's marriage. In other places, God had revealed his direction to the people through the pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and had guided them in decision-making. Okay, next is verse 2. It reads, And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son he created the universe. The question is, how does the writer say God now talks to us? He says God now speaks to us through his Son, Jesus. Jesus completed and fulfilled the message that was originally brought by the prophets and forefathers. The phrase God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance refers to Jesus as an heir who will take his position as ruler of the new kingdom. This reference gives Jesus the highest honor and position. Jesus worked with God to create the world. Through the Son, he created the universe, it said. Jesus was active at the beginning of time as the agent of creation, and he will act at the end of time as the heir. Verse 3 says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Our question is, 
This verse provides important support for the divinity of Jesus. How so? And why is that important? Underneath Jesus' human appearance as a Jewish carpenter turned preacher was God's own glory. Jesus does more than merely reflect God. He is God. He expresses the very character of God, the verse says. So he makes God's essence and nature clear to us. The prophets could only tell God's people what they saw and heard. Jesus was God himself. His message was firsthand. Christ not only created the universe, he also sustains it. Christ spoke the world into existence, and he supports the world with his omnipotent word. Christ guides the world towards its appointed future, the time when he will receive it as his inheritance. Because Christ sustains everything, nothing in creation is independent from him. All things are held together in a coherent or logical way, sustained and upheld, prevented from dissolving into chaos. In him alone, the mighty power of his command, as it says, we find that unifying principle of all life. He is transcendent over all powers. How is he able to do this? Because after he died, he rose again. It says, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he returned to heaven and sat down at the place of highest honor. Jesus' death had accomplished what all the animal sacrifices could never do. It cleansed people from the stain of sin. This statement reveals the central theme of the letter, which is, Christ's superior sacrifice for sins. No sacrifice for sin could be greater than the sacrifice offered by the Creator, his death on a cross. Jesus cleansed the world from the domination of sin and took the penalty for our individual sins by dying in our place. No other penalty needs to be paid, beloved. We can be completely clean because of what Jesus has done. Now Christ is in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven, the verse finishes. Quoting from Psalm 110.1, the writer combined two Old Testament thoughts expressing God's greatness and Christ's position. To be seated at the right hand of a monarch was to be second in command, the literal right-hand man, if you will. This gives a picture of Christ's power and authority over heaven and earth. And this verse became a main text for the early church to be used as an argument for the deity of Christ. Next, we're going to look at the remainder of the chapter, verses 4 through 14, and we're going to talk about how Christ is greater than the angels. Turn with me and look at verse 4. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Here's the question. This verse makes another reference to the superiority of Jesus. What does it say? Here the writer begins a series of arguments proving Jesus' superiority over angels. Angels are spiritual beings created by God and under his authority. They help carry out God's work on earth, for instance, bringing God's messages to people, protecting God's people, offering encouragement, giving guidance, carrying out punishment, patrolling the earth, and fighting the forces of evil. Other popular Jewish teachings during New Testament times said that angels brought people's requests to God and interceded for them. Because of all these beliefs about angels, the Jews honored them highly. But Hebrews emphasizes that Christ and his work far surpass angels and their work. It says, the Son is far greater than the angels. Jesus created the world. He sustains the world. He reveals God's glory, makes God known, and provides the perfect sacrifice for sins. No angel can accomplish any of those things. The writer also says, the name God gave him is greater than their names. Do you see that? In that time and culture, names captured the essence of a person. The name Jesus received was Son, this name identified that his relationship with God, his power to forgive people's sins, and his ability to make God known were far superior to any created beings. Verse 5 is next. It says, For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, You are my son. Today I've become your father. 
God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. Here's the question. Beginning in this verse through verse 13, the writer strings together seven quotations from the Old Testament to show that God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. In this verse, the writer introduces the first two quotations. What are they? The first quote is, you are my son, today I've become your father. If you turn to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, you'll see those words. This comes directly from there. It's a coronation psalm, which is also quoted at Jesus' baptism in Mark 1.11 and Jesus' transfiguration, Mark 9.7. This psalm was originally sung at the crowning of a new king, maybe perhaps David or Solomon. This psalm was used for centuries of Jewish history as a song of worship. Jewish rabbis attached a deeper meaning to the song, one that looked forward to the coming Messiah. Because the Messiah fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament, the writer understands that these Old Testament verses apply to Christ. The second quote is that God spoke the words, I will be his father and you will be my son. This comes from 2 Samuel 7:14. God did this to David with respect to Solomon. Although Solomon fulfilled these words, Hebrews illustrates that Christ ultimately and completely fulfilled them. In John 7:42, the religious leaders discussed Jesus' authority, and they alluded to this passage in Samuel, which said that the Messiah must come from David's family. The titles of father and son reveal a distinction between these two members of the Godhead. They also reveal the unique relationship of the son to the father. No angel can claim any kind of relationship like that. Verse 6 is next. It says, And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Let all of God's angels worship him. Here's the question. Here the writer continues with another quotation from the Old Testament. What does he say? The writer says that God brought his supreme son into the world. In Jewish families, the firstborn son held the place of highest privilege and responsibility. As firstborn of creation, Jesus surpasses any created being. Because of this, the writer has no problem ascribing to Christ the words, let all of God's angels worship him. This is a portion of Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, from the hymn of Moses found in the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek version of the Old Testament. It's not found in the Hebrew version or English translations based on the Hebrew. All quotes in Hebrews are from the Septuagint. In the original Old Testament text, the word hymn refers to the Father, because only God should be worshipped. This verse is further proof that Jesus has a greater position than the angels. He is, in fact, God. Verse 7 is next. It says, regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. The question is, the writer again quotes from the Old Testament regarding Jesus' superiority to the angels. What does he say here? First, let me start by saying that verse 7 really should be read along with verses 8 and 9. So take a look and just read ahead in verses 8 and 9, then come back here and let's continue. You really have to do that to grasp the point. That said, this quote comes from Psalm 104, verse 4, which depicts the angels as messengers. They're also described as like the winds and like flames of fire. This continues to show Jesus' superiority by contrasting his everlasting glory with the temporal nature of the angels. Wind and fire serve as metaphors to illustrate the angels' status as created beings. Next, let's look at those verses 8 and 9 together. They say, But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. The question is, in these verses, the writer again quotes from the Old Testament, Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7 to be exact. What is he saying about Jesus there? These words celebrate the son's status. Psalm 46 would be sung at a Jewish king's wedding. In celebrating the high office of king, the people referred to the king as a god. 
This title was used out of respect to the king's position as God's representative. The title that the people imperfectly place on the Jewish king was perfectly true for Christ. That Jesus' throne endures forever and ever, it stresses Jesus' exaltation. His reign is characterized by righteousness as well as love for what is right and hate for what is wrong. Only Christ has such perfect love for righteousness and hatred for evil. Christ is superior to any other spiritual being. These qualities allow Jesus to be anointed with the oil of joy. The Jews would anoint their kings and their priests with holy oil. So this description carries a double meaning, revealing that Christ has been anointed king and priest. He was able to be a sacrifice for sins because he was perfect and hated all wickedness. God expressed joy in anointing the perfect king and priest. Next, I want you to look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Let's look at those together, okay? It says, He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. Amen to that. All right, verses 10 through 12, they quote from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. What is the writer's point here? These words were originally used of God the Father, but are used here to describe God the Son. Jesus is both the Son and Creator. He is eternal and sovereign, and therefore he's worthy of praise. Hebrews celebrates the permanence of Christ by contrasting him with the temporary nature of this world. The world seems permanent to us, doesn't it? But one day it will wear out like old clothing, the verse says. The world, like the clothing, will be rolled up and it will fade away. But Christ, Christ is always the same. His place is permanent and he will replace this fading world with a new heaven and a new earth. Glory to God for that. Verse 13 is next. It says, And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The writer continues yet again to talk about Christ's superiority to the angels with another Old Testament quotation. Here's the question. What is it and what does it mean? This verse is quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1, and it says that the Messiah will triumph over all his enemies because he is instructed to sit in the place of honor at God's right hand. This position, it belongs to Christ and not to any other being. The greatest archangels stand before God. Did you know that? But none are allowed to sit, for sitting next to God indicates equality. God promised to make Jesus' enemies a footstool under his feet. This is a picture showing Christ as completely victorious over his enemies. Jesus' honor, it can't be superseded, and no angel even comes close to that honor. And lastly today, we come to the end of chapter 1, verse 14. It says, Therefore angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. In this last verse of chapter 1, the writer makes clear the superiority of Christ over the angels and their purpose. What does he say? Christ possesses the right to sit at God's right hand, while, as it said, angels are only his servants. The angels are ministering spirits, and they're sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. We talked about that at the beginning of the chapter. So simply put, the angel's purpose is to serve. Christ's purpose is to reign. The fact that angels serve us, it should encourage us when we feel unloved or forgotten. Because God loves us, he dispatches his angels to help us. What an encouraging thought. Okay, I don't know about you, but mind is blown at this point. Wasn't that incredible? What an incredible way to start this book of Hebrews with chapter one. I mean, it is incredible. Let me try to put my arms around this for you about what we just talked about today, if I can. 
We started off with an awe-inspiring reminder of the supremacy of Jesus Christ as God's Son. This underscores the uncontestable superiority of Jesus, not just over earthly creations, but celestial beings like angels. This chapter, it should cause us to reflect on the grandeur of Jesus' role in the universe, his divine nature, and his eternal rule. And lastly, beloved, we were reminded to trust his authority as he is the ultimate revelation of God's will and love for humanity. Next week, we're going to come back and study Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at the entire chapter, verses 1 to 18. We're going to talk about two things, a warning against drifting away and Jesus the man. I want to thank you again for being with us today. It's great to be back with you after the holiday break. Have a great rest of your day and week. We'll see you right back here next time. Until then, beloved, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.